The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Ben, uh, as I read through your story, your books, your interviews, and I, I remember watching uh, a YouTube documentary of you sailing across the Atlantic many years ago, um, obviously the most sort of striking, distinctive, standout thing about the way that you've chosen to live your life over the last couple of decades is your seemingly insatiable appetite for adventure, risk, challenge, uh, extreme adventure as it relates to Everest and things like that. Where did that come from? I think it's, do you know, it's not necessarily an absolute thirst for adventure. Mm. I think it's about kind of finding the real me. See, if I go, if I go right back uh, as a child, I was so shy. I had no confidence. I failed all my exams. I was hopeless at sport. And actually, I think it, I think all of the things that I've done since have been about like rebuilding. It sounds a, mm-hmm. it, it sounds a, a weird way to describe it, but it's not just, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. There's, there's this assumption that maybe, you know, that, that, that would be how to describe myself, but it's not that at all. Actually, loads of the things I do are really, really slow. You know, like rowing across the Atlantic took best part of two months. Walking across Antarctica took many, many months. Climbing Everest took many months. So actually, if if it was jumping off a mountain, base jumping or going uh, on a motorbike or even a, a mountain bike down a, a steep slope, I hate all that. It's too fast. <laughs> I quite like this slow movement, but I, I'm quite good at long endurance events. And and all of those have been about rebuilding my confidence. And what took your confidence or why didn't you have confidence? I think I think it's the fact that I was I was hopeless academically for many different reasons. Undiagnosed dyslexia. Um a kind of a slight mistake, maybe not on my parents' part, but they, my father's Canadian. He wanted me to be bilingual. So I was sent to a French school and I just, I just, I just didn't, I I couldn't do the French school, the French system. And with all apologies to any French uh, watching or listening to this, it's just quite a hard system, the French one. And, and, and it was quite, it it was quite um, strict. And I'm just, as a child, I just, I was surrounded by dogs. Dad was a vet. Mum was an actress. It was all quite a liberal. My, my actual childhood at home was quite liberal, mm-hmm. full of actors, um, lots of drink, uh, lots of animals around. It was, I suppose, crazy, but normal for me. But then in this French system, it was very rigid. And, and it meant that I didn't learn any French and my English went backwards. So when I went back into the system, I was way behind. And, it, and, and the result was the combination of that and dyslexia just meant I was hopeless. I could barely write and I, and I failed all my exams and I was surrounded by people who were better than me at everything. 
Everyone, everyone seemed to be more handsome when it, if it was the boys. They had more luck with the girls. They were better at playing um, sports because they could actually kick a football, unlike me that have I have two left legs. And uh, and they were good at um, academics. And when it came to the exams, they just they, they didn't even you know they could be up all night watching stuff and then the next day turn up for the exam. Whereas I was just. I, I was almost making myself vomit. I was so nervous about the exams because I knew I was going to fail. And this is this is the first thing. I, I convinced myself I'd fail. And of course, I ended up failing because what I've discovered since is that so much of what we do and what we endure and how we test ourselves is here in the mind. And if you go in with a negative attitude, which I had, then it's self-fulfilling. And, and the result was hopeless at everything. And it just stripped me of my confidence. I, I had, you know, I just, I didn't believe in myself. And that that went right through, you know, probably into my 30s, if I'm to be really honest. I think that was always lingering over me, this little voice just telling me that I was, uh, that, that I wasn't good enough at what I did. And was, did that voice come from your own assessment of yourself or was was there external forces bullying or your parents or no my parents were amazing you know my, my parents have uh, I, I don't think they could have done more for me than they did I think it was no I think it was all internal if I'm to be honest mm. I think there's a pressure I think there was an external pressure to conform because if you think about how if you take the schooling model and the education model it is kind of about conforming mm-hmm. because exams are all about getting the the correct grades we're, we're learning to uh, a specific model that has been um set by the government and and it's it's sort of painting by numbers when it when, when you think about education and if you don't hit those targets then then you've effectively failed the system and for me you can hear my accent, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm posh. I went to a private school. Mum and dad worked really hard to send me to a private school. And actually there was a great guilt that the fact that they had worked so hard to be able to afford to send me there. And yet I still failed. Mm. Uh, so I think actually a lot of that voice was internal. And actually I wish if I could go back in time, I wish I could kind of shake my shoulder, shake a, a young me on the shoulders and go, just don't, don't overthink things. Just chill out a little bit and we were you a, a chronic overthinker i was and i still am really? i still overthink things if i'm to be honest I, I i i to work in the medium that i work in is a little bit strange because I, I don't really belong in this medium when i say this medium you know it, it front of house yeah, where uh, on, as a presenter because um, i've got a really thin skin and i overthink everything. So when I read something negative, whether that's on social media, whether that's a newspaper review, whether that's a journalist that has written something um, which I don't like um, or or which doesn't seem true, I take it really personally, which is kind of really strange because I should have I should have been able to overcome that after 20 years. And I'm almost there, Stephen. I'm mm. almost there. But one of the reasons I'm happy to talk about it is because I know so I'm I know I'm not alone. I know there are many many people out there who are high achievers who've done brilliant things in life, but are still burdened with their own voice of doubt. And through all of these challenges I've done, I've been able to really build that confidence. And I'm, I'm I'd say I'm a few hundred meters from the summit now of mm. peak confidence, mm. and I can't wait until I'm there. I hope I do. Re- I, I hope I reach that point. 
What is it about those challenges and the sort of slow, monotonous nature of those challenges, or just the challenges themselves, or challenge as a you know as a as a construct itself, that helped you to build confidence? Because I'm one of the most frequent questions I'm asked in the comment section of this podcast or on Instagram or anywhere else is, um, how do I build my confidence? And I think we live in a culture, especially on Instagram, where it seems like everyone else is super confident and chasing their dreams and we, we never get to hear the whispers of their self-doubt mm-hmm. so it f- might feel like we're the only ones so i guess my question is uh, how 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 did those challenges build your confidence mm-hmm. it, it it happened by accident so that's the first thing to say i didn't chase it thinking this is going to help it, it was like a slow series of blocks that were built so it started when i failed my a levels and i went off traveling i went to costa rica a place that i know you love <laughs> and i went to university out there and, and i think it was spending time in a different country in a different country country with a different culture different language different religion away from home away from mum and dad and and first of all i had to kind of think on my own I couldn't defer to other people up until that point I'd always kind of dad what do you what do you think mom what do you should I do that you know I I I didn't trust my own judgment so first of all that was gone so I had to stand or fall on my own decisions and then secondly just the immersion in this exciting new place was just I mean it just it it was the most exciting year I've ever had if I'm to be really honest there's gonna be so many Ben 18 year old Ben Ben's listening to this right now, who have listened to this and thought, you know what, I'm really low confidence and I've been knocked and, you know, I'm not sure if I'm good enough and I've been called a failure by my job, dad, whatever it is. What do you say to those people having walked, you know, lived their life? What do you say to them? What's the advice you give them? Don't, don't buy into someone else's narrative. That's what you're doing by listening to the failure, whether it's absolute words coming out of someone's mouth saying, well, you're no good, whether it's whether it's even perceived narrative that you go into a pub and well, everyone looks like they're having more fun than you and and the girl or the boy doesn't want to be with you, they want to be with the the other person. I think I think you just have to own your narrative. You are you in this world of what are we, 6.7 billion? I probably got that wrong, but in this world of many, many billions of people. There is no, there is no other Stephen. Yeah, that is fact. Yeah, there might be someone similar. There might be someone with the same abilities, the same body type, maybe even looks a bit like you. But you are completely unique because your personality um, belongs to you. And don't try and change that. Don't try and be the person that other people want you to be. Be the person you are. And it, it's 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 a really hard thing to buy into because I spent so much of my life trying to be the person I thought society wanted me to be always embarrassed that I wasn't I was either too posh or I wasn't posh enough I was either too successful or not successful enough you see what I mean it's it's almost like you're always just trying to fit in but actually once you own your narrative once you're confident that you are unique in whatever way it might be a it might be a geeky kind of unique it might be a cool kind of unique it might be a quirky kind of unique but that's if 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 you can own your personality your narrative and accept that you're halfway there to to this self-belief and this confidence and and that also means not trying to 
buy into someone else's narrative. You might think you want to be the, if you're the geeky one, you might think you want to be the cool kid. You might think that you want to be playing in the first football team. You might think that you um, want to be sitting at that top table, but that's not necessarily where your personality um, uh, wants you to be. And, and I think it, stop wanting and start being. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. 